You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I want to remind you of something that I think you're going to remember when I start playing it for you. But we had uh, Kyle Brandt sit down in his basement in a very patronizing way. He said, I'm going to sit down. I've never done this before. I'm going to sit down. You're, you're so sweet. You're such sweet, innocent little people. And you're, you're lovely ignorant little farmers, and uh, he didn't use those exact words, but it's it's very patronizing and annoying. Anyways, he goes on this little diatribe here. You find people in that incredible state don't know what it's like to not have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You don't even know what it's like to have merely a Pro Bowl quarterback, a guy who's limited, but man, really good here and there, and makes the Pro Bowl sometimes. You don't even know what that's like. You don't know what it's like to have a 7.5 or 8 out of 10 quarterback. Neither do you. You don't. And I'm not just talking about the young people. I'm not talking about the kids. There are adults among you with families of their own, parents who have never taken one breath of Wisconsin air that doesn't include the life of having a Pro Bowl and All-Pro and Hall of Fame quarterback. You've never lived a second. You don't know it. You don't remember the magic man, Don Mikowski. You don't remember before that. You were born during the Favre era, Favre Ascension, and you have just coasted for years. I know. I've spent about half my life in the Chicagoland area. It's rough, guys. Rough. In my life, I've never seen an excellent quarterback. A lot of fan bases haven't. You guys think that's the way it works that you have this amazing all-time quarterback and eventually it goes really ugly and there's a, a sloppy divorce and he leaves and then the next Hall of Famer just comes right up. You guys struck oil twice in a row for 30 years. You won two Powerball tickets. Don't you think the odds are considerably against you that you're going to win a third? Nope, that's not how math works. I remember I used to talk to my father, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He tells that story every five seconds. So, anyways, I bring that up because I think we got a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. If you couldn't already figure this out for yourself, why he's doing this, he's a Bears fan. Why is he having this little patronizing talk with Packers fans about you poor sweet people, you don't even know what's coming. You don't even know. Do you think he was actually talking to us? Do you think he was actually informing? Or maybe was it a little bit of self-soothing? Is, it, is he doing what every Bears fan does, lashes out in the offseason, because he knows it's the only time he's going to be able to get it in. Shout out to Monty on Twitter. Sent me this Rich Eisen clip of Kyle Brandt. And uh, it's funny because Rich Eisen specifically asked him a question about the Lions. And he goes off on an immediate tangent about Bears Packers and how he's already about to have a meltdown. All right, so I will give you uh, the floor yeah. on the NFC North. How do you see it playing out? One week from today, we'll either be having the overreaction of, see, we told you the Lions didn't deserve to be on Thursday night, or, hey, the Lions are, are the team that we think they could be. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the NFC North writ large, Kyle? 
Well, it's my two favorite games of week one, the Xanax Bowl. It is the double anxiety bowl for the Chicago Bears fans because Jordan Love just can't be great. You can't. It's not possible. Don't do it. Meanwhile, Justin Fields has to be great. It is going to be such a spectator sport. I know he's kind of joking around a little bit, but not. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Not really. What we have experienced in this offseason has been, at the very least, a low level of psychosis from Bears fans. And for some reason, that has poured out over the entire NFL fan base, where they have just kind of bought into it. But believe me, the, the idea that Jordan Love can't be good is not so much a prediction as it is just a, the universe can't be that cruel to me. I refuse to accept it. It's, it's denial, not, not in the face of something that is, that is evidently in front of you, but denial that it could even happen. And then just the, the I mean, it's, it is funny, you listen to Bears fans, and I'm, I'm serious, at least 75%, 80%, 90%, they're not even going to have the discussion with you about whether Justin Fields is the guy. He's the guy. He's it. 100%. He's the guy. He has to be. And Kyle Brandt laid it out, I think, exactly how a lot of Bears fans feel. And so these little patronizing talks of, oh, you really think he's going to be good? Oh, he's sitting on the bench, which, again, is the dumbest. Why are we hearing so many stupid things about the Packers being bad because the guy we haven't seen yet is probably going to be bad? Why would that be a thing? I wonder if it's them trying to convince themselves. It's not possible. Can't do three in a row. Can't do three in a row. It's not really three in a row. It's, it's, it's one in a row because we already have two. Nope, nope, can't do three in a row. It's, it's math impossible. Can't. Nope, 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 nope. Like, they're, they're, they are already kind of broken. I mean, it's, 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 it's a thing that I've never seen before. And it's, it's kind of weird because, I mentioned this before, Bears fans were broken, I think, after we beat them in the NFC Championship game on our way to win a Super Bowl. I think that broke Bears fans. And they just went into hibernation. They, they kind of went the way of the Lions. They didn't really talk. Maybe a couple of them chirped up here and there. But it was mostly just, yeah, we suck, shut up, I hate the Packers, ha-ha, Packers suck, you idiots, I hate you. But very, very quiet. And when Justin Fields happened, there was, I think, this thing where they were positive he was the guy. They just pushed all their chips. It, it's like they... It, it really reminds me of a, a gambling addict who had lost it all gambling, right? And was really down and out and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And this is after the, the NFC Championship. Like, that was them losing everything. Maybe, maybe uh, betting on, like, horses or something would be the best thing. Bet it all on a horse and lost it. Or just had been losing it, whatever. This time around, like, it's a sure thing. I've got a sure thing. And the freaking guy bets his entire retirement. And this horse is three-quarters of the way around the track and is in last place. And there is just a level of refusing to believe that, that this is about to happen, that the Packers are going to have a bad quarterback and Justin Fields is not. Like, the, the idea that I am going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my house, my retirement. I, you know, I, I, I was out, and I allowed myself to come back in. I allowed myself to buy it and put all my chips on this one thing. I was told it was a sure thing, and I put all my money on it, and I believed it, and I trusted it. Like, it is, it is bad. Like, I'm, I, I wouldn't go to this Bears game. I don't, I mean, for all I know, you could be a Packer fan, and after this game happened, they, they just slouch in their chairs, and they're weeping, and they just don't even acknowledge you. But I don't know. I don't know what, what happens when people snap. 
and you got tens of thousands of people in that stadium, I'm guessing people snap differently. If Justin Fields comes out and plays like crap, Kyle Brandt goes on to to say that if if the Packers get the ball first and Jordan Love drives down and scores a touchdown on that first drive, it's over. Like, they're going to lose their minds. That's crazy. But he's right. And that's not everybody. Listen, I, I spent a lot of time today, I listened to Vikings and Bears podcasts. I didn't get to Lions, but I listened to some Vikings and Bears stuff just to kind of get the general vibe. And I will say, Bears content creators, much more rational than these people on social media. And I think the, the fan base at large. But I do think the fan base at large has lost its mind. And even the creators, for the most part, are like, Fields is the guy. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're... Like, don't even talk to me about that. If you don't think so, you're just an idiot. You're a hater. You don't know what you're talking about. So there's still going to be a level of broken across the fan base. But if week one, Jordan Love comes in and demonstrates that he's the guy, and Justin Fields demonstrates that everybody's been right, and maybe he's just not the guy, even though we're still not 100% of the way there, maybe Love will be bad, maybe Fields will be good, I don't know. I think there's going to be a level of just meltdown like has never been seen from an NFL fan base. So it was funny when he sent me that, I realized, you know, all this talk he's been doing. And it hasn't been the worst. Like, he hasn't been that bad. It's, it's you know, again, he, he's, he's trying to be... But it just, that, that was the first thing I thought when I heard that was, all this talk in the past was coping, wasn't it? You weren't talking to me, you were talking to yourself. Now, the flip side of this is if the Bears win, it's going to be confirmation of their psychosis. Which is a dangerous thing when crazy people are told that they're right about being crazy. Remember when Justin Fields threw a screen pass that almost hit the dirt? And then a guy was able to scrape it up off the ground and then run in a straight line as people forgot how to tackle and then scored a touchdown. And even though the quarterback threw for a net of like three yards or might have even been negative yards, I don't remember. Do you remember what the fans all said? They freaking posted his stat line as evidence that he and DJ Moore, he in particular, because it was his stat line, are looking real good. And it's funny because... I'm halfway trolling, but at the exact same time, this makes more sense to me than anything else. Why would a fan base be so stupid as to actually post Justin Fields' stat line knowing full well that he did nothing in that game? Nothing. I'm telling you, it, 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 I think there's something to it. And I don't know if, if I'm more worried for them or excited to watch it, but... um. I think we're going to see it one way or another. Anyways, touching on uh, a little bit we talked about yesterday, according to um, Mr. Tony Pauline, who is now over at Sports Kita, he says the Chris Jones deal is likely to get done very soon. Again, as much as it would be cool to see if the Packers would take a swing at him, my fear that he would end up in Chicago or some other place uh, far outweighs my excitement that there's this way outside chance the Packers would get him. And so I am actually hopeful that it gets done. Plus, it just continues this whole breaking of brains thing because, you know, one of the other things that's happening in Chicago as I listen to these podcasts is that realization is absolutely setting in. And it's funny, I'd mentioned yesterday, I think it was, how we're going to start to hear the blaming of the offensive line, and that's already happening. All, uh, uh, unanimous across the board. I'm really nervous about this offensive line. They lost one guy. How do you have five offensive linemen you like? One gets hurt and it's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go. Same as last year. <laughs> Anyways, the new thing is they're really excited about the prospect of getting Chris Jones. Now, granted, they should be. Um, 
wanting this to happen. But it's just the fact that last year they talked so much crap about all these big names they were going to get, and they got zero of them. Now they're really excited because somebody told them that the the Bears were having conversations or something, which really was nothing more than the Bears picking up the phone and calling and being like, hey, man, how's it going with Chris? And they just said F off. And I was like, all right, dude, well, let me know. And then that was it. Now, it's not a for sure thing. According to uh, Pauline, there's a belief the deal will get done soon and the two sides are not far apart. Uh, that being the case, I'm also told Kansas City are, is standing firm in their most recent offer and may not be willing to budge. That still does leave the door open a little bit. You can say that you're getting close, but if both sides have come to a standstill, it is what it is, you know. But I have to assume with the first game coming up, man, it's, it's got to get done. I mean, it's week one, and it's Detroit. And there's every possibility that Detroit is going to come out swinging and can put up 40 points. You're not going to put your best player on defense, one of your best players in your entire team, top three without a question, on the field, reigning Super Bowl champions looking to run it back? Shimon now. The good news is, apparently Chris Jones is being selfish. This is obviously being fed by the team, but it doesn't matter. From the team's perspective, Chris Jones is being selfish, and what they mean by that is they're trying to get him to understand that they need him to be a little bit flexible. In other words, we can get you the dollars you want, but we need we need some level of flexibility because we're trying to superstars here. And according to this article, if he's not willing to be flexible, we're not going to be able to pay them. Now, I'm sure they'll find a way. But I love hearing that, because I don't want them to pay their superstars. Anyways, a little bit of personnel news. Jonathan Ford has made his way back to the practice squad. James Empey is off of it. Don't even get me freaking started as to the thought process behind all this stuff. I have no idea. I don't understand it. But here we are. Um, does this bring Tariq Carpenter back? I don't know. I don't know if this means he's he's bound to be next or how that's all going to work. But Empey uh, is gone. Jonathan Ford is back. I can't say I'm massively surprised, other than what many other people have already said. It seems odd to me that MP was the one to go. Because Josh Myers is the only center we have on this team. Now, obviously, if some if he gets hurt, somebody will slide over there. And as I've said, I think that's a lot of what this whole Zach Thomas center thing was. It's not should he actually start there. It's do we have a backup option if Josh Myers gets hurt. I think that's more of what we've been seeing than anything real about uh, Zach Tom winning that job. But still... We don't have a backup center. We have two backup tackles, two backup guards. Our backup center was on the practice squad, and we just released him. So that's kind of weird, but it is what it is. And actually, never mind. Uh, Tariq Carpenter is now a stealer. So again, I I don't know. I don't understand (laughs) any of this stuff. One more thing I wanted to touch on. It's really random, but um, I was kind of going down the rabbit hole today. Still am, actually, but um, in the process of finding some... Well, every single obscure analytics data NFL website that exists, and I've found a few, but it's a bit of a grind. I came across this one, and um, it's it's a defunct website. It looks like the, the this is the last article they wrote, May 8th of 2018. But um, it's something that I've brought up several times, but haven't really had data to back it up, and so we're going to talk about it. Um, this is... NFL draft analytics. What is the probability of a draft choice becoming a top-tier player? And the the way that they did it makes a ton of sense. So they've got a chart, and um, vertically you can see positions. And then underneath each position is rounds one through seven. And then running left to right, you you have percentiles. So for example, 
at the top you have quarterback and you can look at round one and then you have fifth percentile 10th 25th 50th 75th 90th and 95th so if you take a quarterback in the first round the odds that he will be in the fifth percentile is 99.99 percent it's almost a certainty in fact it is the highest um aside from or or in league with offensive line now nobody should care about that data because being in the fifth percentile is useless information <laughs> like that's that guy sucks what was interesting to me though because i just made this comment yesterday i think i don't remember exactly what i was saying but 50th percentile there is a misconception and i i really need to save this chart because it's really important because there is a massive misconception in terms of how much success we should expect how many positions just you can just think this through yourself how many positions do you think have a greater than or equal to chance uh 50 chance that they are in the 50th percentile Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, offensive line, defensive end, defensive tackle, linebacker, or DB. How many of those, if you take somebody in the in the first round, you have even a 50% chance of being in the 50th percentile. Forget 95th or 90th or 75th. We're not even talking good. We're talking 50th. You're just the most average person on planet Earth. The answer is one. There is one position where you have a 52.29% chance of being in the 50th percentile, and that's running back. So when you look at Jordan Love, for example, and you talk about, this is what I think I was talking about, was Jordan Love and, and the odds that he's going to be successful. If you just look at him as a random, generic, and it's not broke down by win in the first round, but just any old random, generic first-round quarterback, the odds that he's in the 75th percentile, let's say that that's good right 75th is you're a good quarterback do you know the odds if you were to just throw a dart at a first round pick that he's in the 75th percentile it's 14 percent 14.61 call it 15 percent if you like 15 percent that a first round quarterback is going to be good for a tight end it's less than five percent strangely enough but not for some reason not surprisingly you're actually more likely to hit on a tight end in the second round than in the first round if you want something better than the 50th percentile if you're looking for 50th percentile or less go in the first round 75th percentile you have an 18 percent chance in the second round 10 percent chance in the third round a 4.96 percent chance in the first round and if you're looking for 90th or 95th percentile it is 0.01 percent for first round tight ends meaning basically it just isn't really a thing second round you got a shot Luke Musgrave, that's all I'm saying. So I'm not going to go through all these, but we as a fan base spend so much time talking about, whoa, what a boss, oh, what a crap GM, what a garbage pick, blah, 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 blah. Let me just real quick, again, 75th percentile is good. I'm going to go through all the first rounds. What are the odds that that pick's going to be good? Quarterback, 14.6%. Running back, 26.8%. So that's actually not bad. Take a first round running back, there's a one in four chance he's going to be solid. Strongest case you can make for a running back is that it's it's the only real position where in the first round you got a pretty legit shot of drafting a superstar. Over 10%, he's in the 90th percentile. Continuing. Wide receiver, just a 13.7% chance. Tight end, 496 
Offensive lineman, 10.25%. And again, I, I just, just think, if we had drafted a, an offensive lineman, and he was 50th percentile or less, which is average or worse, we would lose our freaking minds. If he wasn't 75th percentile, we would be furious despite the fact that there is a 90% chance when we drafted that guy that he was not going to be a superstar. By the way, this is exactly what I've been saying about the Bears' right tackle. The assumption that he's going to be great. Just because what? Draft Twitter said so? Defensive ends or pass rushers. This would be Lucas Van Ness, 16.46%. Defensive tackles, 17.3%. Linebackers, 20.1%. I mean, that's, that's really high. That's the second highest after running back. It's still just a 1 in 5 chance. And then DB's 9.76, right? Darnell Savage. Assuming he doesn't have some massive turnaround. What a bust. What a garbage pick. Bro, there is a 90% chance he was going to be not good. There was just a 37% chance, basically a 1 in 3 chance, that he wasn't even going to be mediocre. Or that he was going to be. 2 out of 3 that he wasn't even going to be mediocre. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break right here. We'll come back and take a look at some of the stuff that I found while poking around. And again, guys, please remember, make sure you check out Old Southern Smokehouse. Website is oldsouthernbarbecue.com. And I know it's early, but it's something you need to start planning for. If you're having a big Packers party coming up, just a thought. I know you can probably do it by yourself, but just something to think about. They do do catering. You could have the ribs, the brisket, pulled pork, some cornbread, a little bit of mac and cheese. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you can do a wicked cheeseburger on the Weber. But if you want to go all out for a big old barbecue party, you can head over to their website, click on the catering tab, or just go to oldsoutherncatering.com. They've got a separate portion over there. Or just skip all that and email catering at oldsouthernbarbecue.com. So again, if you want to do it by yourself, get the rubs, get the barbecue sauce, absolutely not going to be disappointed. But if you're thinking about hosting a big old party, reach out. You got a wedding coming up and you want food that doesn't suck? Reach out. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So nothing has moved here as far as the betting lines. It does look like it happens once every two days. I don't know if that's a thing or or not. It just seems to be a pattern. So we'll see if it changes tomorrow. We're still sitting at Bears. the Bears being about a one-point favorite. That is, by the way, assuming this holds up, which, again, my bet is it doesn't. This will be the first time since 2019 that they are favored to beat the Green Bay Packers. Seven straight meetings, the Chicago Bears have been underdogs to the Green Bay Packers, and it's not hard to figure out why. I don't even need to go back and look it up. Remember, 2018, what happened to the Packers? 2018, what happened to the Bears? Bears were in the playoffs. Didn't move on because of a double doink, but you know. And the Packers had a big down year, and it was the same as this year. Oh, they're done, they're cooked, they're toast. Same old bullcrap from the Bears fans and everybody else. Oh, Rodgers is washed. Team's game over, new GM, new coach, you got to get a new quarterback, you guys are screwed, and what happened? Not that exactly. Since 2009, the Bears have only been favored to beat the Packers three times in their last 27 meetings. And, over the last 20 years, the Chicago Bears are a putrid 12-28-1 against the spread. So that is... <laughs> That's that's against the spread, which means that includes the handicaps that have been handed to the Chicago Bears. Even when Vegas is like, let's give them three points, it's never enough. Just 30% of the time, betting on the Bears would have been the right decision. A $100 better. In other words, if you put $100 down on the Bears against the spread every time for the last 20 years, you would be down $1,673. Some other things in the betting realm... Three coaches you should bet right now for Coach of the Year. Number one, D'Amico Ryans with the Texans. A little bit surprised by that, honestly, because I I understand they're in a bad division, but going to have to win some games with Stroud. Number two, Arthur Smith. Understandable. Number three, Matt LaFleur. Plus 1,600 at FanDuel. 1,600? My goodness. That's actually pretty crazy. Let me read this little blurb here. The Packers are one of the more volatile, unpredictable teams this season. The defense is super talented, but is consistently underperformed, and the offense isn't unknown with Jordan Love finally stepping in for Aaron Rodgers. I have Green Bay at nine relatively coin flip games, most in the NFC. Volatility in betting means betting on the long tail of outlier outcomes. I'm not a fan of LaFleur's assistance and not a believer in Love or this defense, so it wouldn't be a shock to see this end up a full rebuilding season in Green Bay. But the NFC North shapes up as the worst, most winnable division, and there's no question the Packers' volatility could swing in the other direction too. The Packers have a terrific offensive line and run game, so that's a stable floor. If Love plays like an above-average quarterback, this could be a top 10 or top 15 offense, and the pass defense can be dominant too. Add in an obvious narrative for LeFleur post-Rodgers, and he could be in the mix for a 12-5 division title. So obviously, this is from a somewhat of a negative perspective. Even then, they're saying you need to be hammering this bet for Matt LaFleur as a top three, right now, coach of the year candidate. And honestly, I think that that's right. 
Now, you, you can throw a few other things out there in terms of, you know, Robert Sala and all that, but, you know, even according to the article, there, there's too high of expectations. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be pretty ridiculous if the guy, you know, the Jets are a bad football team, and then you get a new quarterback, and suddenly the team's good, and what, we're going to give the credit to the coach? There's almost no way that the coach could, even if they win the Super Bowl, you know, all their accomplishments are Aaron Rodgers. So when you look at it from the Packers' perspective, the, the expectations are so unbelievably low. They've been so low. And that's not to say that that can't flip on its head and, oh, it looks like Jordan Love is really good again. Man, Matt LaFleur sure got lucky. Who knows? But, you know, I think if the Packers get to 10 wins, if they can get to 10 wins, there is an unbelievably strong case, especially since it's now become somewhat clear that the uh, voters, the people in the media that vote on this stuff, have been wildly unfair to Matt LaFleur because of Aaron Rodgers. And it becomes a situation kind of like, you know how referees will miss a play real bad? And then one play later, they call some ticky-tack play against that team that they missed the call against. That's sort of like a, oh, our bad. Ten wins. Whoops, we missed. You definitely should have gotten it a few years ago. This is our mulligan. Congratulations, Coach of the Year. They also took a look at uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year. And um, obviously, my eyes got drawn to Lucas Van Ness. But they... um, they said it's probably not a good bet, and I would have to agree. Even if we're all super high on Lucas Van Ness, which I think there's some skepticism at this point. He's so buried on a defense that is obviously going to have a rotation, meaning he's not going to be like some teams where you are our number one pass rusher and we're going to have you on the field as much as possible. I mean, in this case, a rotation might help Lucas Van Ness, but the point is there's not going to be a guy that's just getting a massive amount. And the fact of the matter is, he's at best going to be number three, and he's probably not even going to be that. And so we don't really even have somebody else that we could consider there. I mean, you could talk about, you know, one of the defensive tackles in the mid-round, but that's just getting kind of silly. So Lucas Van Ness right now, plus 1,600. But the bottom line is, there's so many guys, including corners, Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks, Joey Porter. There's some defensive tackles. Unlikely that a defensive tackle wins. However, Jalen Carter is not the worst bet in the world. There's also Kalijah Kansi, Brian Brzee, Mozzie Smith, and then just a huge pile of, of other edge rushers, including Tyree Wilson, Nolan Smith, Will McDonald, Felix, Felix Anudike Uzama, Miles Murphy, B.J. Ojolari, Derek Hall, and Isaiah Foskey. haven't said that in a while. I missed it. Outlier picks like Jack Campbell, but... The number one pick that makes sense would be Will Anderson. He absolutely shredded the preseason. He more than likely will be that guy that is just on the field constantly. And they made the point that he's plus 500, which are the, um, you know, the, the best odds. But even at plus 500, that's just, that's, you're stealing money at that point. So, you know, I wish I could make a better case for Lucas Van Ness, but I think we all kind of know that's not going to be a thing. I shouldn't say no, but, you know, it's, it's not realistic. I will say, though, no articles here to point to. As I'm reading this stuff and I'm thinking about it, I really genuinely believe, depending on what happens with Bijan, he is the, the odds-on favorite here, and that makes sense. I genuinely believe Luke Musgrave has a shot. 
Now, the, the article here basically just says, it, it says explicitly stay away from non-running backs outside of the first round. Statistically, it's not a thing. It includes Jaden Reed in that, and I would agree. Jaden Reed would not be my pick. But here's the thing. You look at a lot of these guys, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quinton Johnson. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is, is interesting as well. And then especially, the, the most important generally is quarterbacks, but you're talking Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud. I think there's a good chance none of those three are going to be massively impressive. The only one I'd be somewhat surprised by that if they aren't impressive is B. John Robinson. And you could talk about Jameer Gibbs, but I mean, it's a Lions running back. I know Jamal sniped a ton of touchdowns last time, but I mean, I, I think there's a chance that Luke Musgrave is our leading receiver this year. And so again, it's it's really going to depend what everybody else does. But if Musgrave is is sniffing a thousand yards, if he's up 800, 900 yards and a and a big pile of touchdowns, I think there's a chance. You know, Kyle Pitts did it a couple years ago, but that's when Jamar Chase broke every record. We don't have a Jamar Chase in this class. I mean, we may, but I, I there's 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 no reason to believe there is one. So it is largely depending on everybody else kind of failing because I don't think he's going to have fifteen hundred yards and and. 15 touchdowns but i mean if he if he got to 800 some odd yards he'd be the fourth number four in in receiving yards as a tight end as a rookie and again considering i don't know how much watson's going to get the ball we'll see what happens with dobbs and and whatnot but it just seems like they really want musgrave to be a thing i think jordan love wants musgrave to be a thing we'll see but put it this way Jaden reed is on the list i would take musgrave over Jaden reed all right, two more just for fun, and then we'll get out of here because it's late and I got to go to bed. We're going to use this time to make fun of Justin Fields. <laughs> Again, this is why I love numbers people, man. They're not just out for feel-good stories. They're just looking at the data. Best bet for most interceptions. Last year's winner, Dak Prescott. Best bet this year, Geno Smith of the Seahawks. Long shot bet, Justin Fields. I'm just going to read it because the whole thing is funny. I'm actually betting on some Fields improvement here. Hear me out. Fields has been bad at just about everything as a passer in his career, but we haven't really noticed the interceptions at 10 and 11 because he throws the ball so rarely. (laughs) So the only reason Fields is a long shot is because he never throws the ball. Otherwise, he's terrible. In fact, let me just read that again. Fields has been bad at just about everything as a passer in his career. Continuing. The interception rate at 3.6%, though, almost twice the rate of good quarterbacks, is horrendous. Who wrote this? I need to send them, I need to Venmo them like five bucks. Brandon Anderson, you freaking genius. Sorry, let me read that again. I I got lost there. The interception rate at 3.6%, almost twice the rate of good quarterbacks, I, I... I love that because it's so damning just just as a statistic, but the fact that it's twice the rate of good quarterbacks, like we're not even going to entertain the fact that you're good. You're you're twice as bad as your average good quarterback. And then he's going to add in, which is horrendous. If Fields actually improves enough to get more of a green light as a passer, increasing his volume, those interceptions will tick up too. So if you start showing that you're capable enough to even be given the keys to your own offense because you don't suck that bad that'll make the bet for most interceptions in the season even more likely because at the end of the day you still do suck 
The attempts were already creeping up the back half of last season, and unless Fields gets hurt, it's not like the Bears have any choice but to keep rolling with their guy with only Tyson Bajan behind him. They did add somebody, but whatever. Fields had the highest turnover-worthy pass rate among all starters at 4.4%, up from 3.7% the year before. The mistake throws are there. If Chicago gives Fields more chances to throw this season, his interception numbers will spike. So... Fingers crossed that they give Justin Fields more opportunities because it's more opportunities to suck. Well said, sir. I really hope the Packers capitalize on that. I really hope we can do some kind of a job to stop the run so that they don't just pull a San Francisco 49ers on us and just refuse to do anything but run the ball down our throat. Because I just I need I need to see some sort of a, a pick six early in this game. Just do it. Just house one and just, you know, give the double bird to the stands. I'm just saying. All right, one more. This is about MVP betting. They kind of go through. They talk about, you know, who wins the MVP, all this stuff. Number one, it should be a quarterback. Number two, we love repeat winners. Need some serious statistical production is number four. Number five, we need a winner. Advanced metrics tend to be a great predictor. So, you know, EPA and completion percentage over expected. Generally, it's quarterbacks that dominate those metrics. And then he summarizes and says, so what are we looking for for an MVP? This is an individual award, but it's really a team accomplishment. We need a quarterback capable of a 13-win season and a run at the one seed, and they need to have a real shot at 4,500 yards and 40-plus touchdowns. It says, do not bet on non-quarterbacks. And then it starts off and says, everybody's favorite sleeper candidate, Justin Fields, Chicago Bears, plus 2,200. Here's what he has to say about that. Fields is the obvious sleeper pick from the NFC, but he might as well he might also be the worst bet on the list. MVPs average 14 wins and make a run at the number one seed. I don't care how watered down the NFC is or how good of a passer Fields magically becomes overnight. Do you really think the Bears team has even a snowball's chance at reaching that standard? Even if you completely ignore quarterback, which you would have to, Chicago ranks bottom six for me on both offense and defense. It's really, really hard to imagine the Bears winning 13 games, even if Fields plays like a top-five quarterback. Could he win MVP if he runs for 1,500 yards, throws for 4,000, and breaks our statistical brains? Even if the Bears go 10-7 and before a quick postseason flameout? I suppose it's possible in 2023. Congratulations, you just gave the MVP to NFL Russell Westbrook. Will voters really do that? I don't buy it. I sure as heck can't recommend Fields at plus 2200 when you can play guys like Dak Prescott or Tua Tungavailoa at the exact same price with a way better roster around them. MVP is a team award. I don't buy Fields at quarterback anyway, but I definitely don't want to buy the rest of the team around him. Which honestly, that is a pretty good point. I know we don't generally think about this as being a team sport, but in what universe is a quarterback with bad passing statistics and seven wins going to win MVP. That's never going to happen. I can't imagine how much money has flooded in for Justin Fields at MVP that is just money going right down the toilet. That is the dumbest crap on planet Earth. He does, however, talk a little bit about Jordan Love here. Under the number seven heading, he has other NFC sleepers to keep an eye on. Jared Goff at plus 4,000, Geno Smith at plus 4,000, Derek Carr at plus 5,000, Kirk Cousins at plus 5,000, Jordan Love at plus 6,000, Daniel Jones at plus 7,500, and Desmond Ritter with the Falcons at plus 15,000. He points out NFC, obviously, because the NFC is supposedly going to be a lot weaker. 
So there should be more wins, more statistical production, etc., etc. Skipping down a little bit, it says, The uncertainty draws my eye to Jordan Love and Desmond Ritter. So he sort of rules out the other ones and talks about these guys. He says, We already know Cousins, Carr, and Goff are mid. No one wants to see that bust in Canton. It's funny because I know what he means by bust, but it's just, it's funny. At least with Love and Ritter, we don't know yet. Green Bay and Atlanta have intriguing, talented rosters with plenty of upside and soft, winnable divisions. If the NFC is wide open and the Packers or Falcons end up at a two seed, could Love or Ritter be a long shot MVP candidate? Maybe. Would they win? I doubt it. So these are the two, his two favorite bets that are above his three real bets. And, And honestly, I agree. It's an insane long shot that is very unlikely to hit. But just like you said, listen, we've seen Goff. If he hasn't won it by now, if he didn't win it last year when he was kind of at his peak, I mean, as far as Goff goes, why would we think he's going to win it this year? Same with Kirk Cousins. At least with Jordan Love. If, you're, if you had to put your money somewhere, at least with Jordan Love, you don't know what his ceiling could be. Same with Ritter, although I don't think it's been mostly positive from what we've seen from him, but still with those insanely long odds of 15,000. And again, you got a great team around you, weak division. It's worth a look. But look, at the end of the day, I just love the fact that the mere thought of Justin Fields being MVP, which is one of the favorite candidates right now, is freaking laughable. But the thought of Jordan Love is a long shot, but a better bet than Justin Fields. Anyways, that's all I got for you today. Have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Um, as far as no packing after dark last night, there weren't enough calls. If there are tonight, we'll do it tonight. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.